All right, welcome to the White Collar Crimes Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Horn. This is the podcast where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. Great to have you aboard. Missed you last week. Glad to be back at it again this week. You know, if you turned on your TV or your radio in the late 90s and early 2000s, you most likely for sure heard one of the products of tonight's focus or today's focus, depending on when you hear this. But if you heard the band, the Backstreet Boys, and again, if you had a television or a radio in the late 90s and early 2000s, for sure, you heard these guys. They were everywhere. You could not miss them. And tonight's or today's focus is Lou Perlman, who managed and produced many of these in this, what was kind of known as the boy band genre, with his biggest success probably being the Backstreet Boys. Now, unfortunately, he pocketed illegally off many of these products that he produced and acts that he produced, but most likely, you, even though you haven't heard of him, you have heard of his uh, productions and, and who he is famous for getting out there. And from about 1993 to 2006, he was in his heyday at this time, producing some of the biggest names in pop music in general. And he was based in the Orlando area, Orlando, Florida, as were were the Backstreet Boys, as I just mentioned, who ended up being his biggest production, most likely. Although he was, you know, famous for some other acts, this certainly were probably the biggest among them that he had. And he had captivated the success of also, or he had been captivated by the success also of the new kids on the block. And if you're my age, you're a Gen Xer or older, you're probably definitely familiar with them too because in the 1980s and early 90s, they were quite huge as well. Very big, um, in fact. You know, and again, this is they were big before the days of the internet, really, to be honest. And they made it big off of television and radio and you know, MTV and things like that, but they certainly were one of the big uh, boy bands that helped set the stage for Perlman and these others to uh, develop, you know, the Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, some of these groups that were big in this boy band genre at the time, and it's still around now, but I think the 80s and 90s and early 2000s were like really the heyday for that, and that's certainly what we saw with him on that, and he was very captivated by the success that the new kids on the block had in the 1980s. So he kind of set the chart for, charted his own course for himself to develop something like that for his own. Now, Perlman himself, he was, even though based in Orlando, he was born in New York, only child of Jewish parents that ran a dry cleaning business. And it come to find out later, he was the cousin of famous musician Art Garfunkel, you know, the famous Simon and Garfunkel duo. Guarantee you've heard their music. If you have a radio, you've heard their music somewhere, uh, quite popular back in their day. And the uh, relationship that he had, it, uh, that uh, this relationship that he had with his cousin kind of uh, piqued his interest in the music industry as well. You know, I mean, why not? You know, if I would have had a famous cousin like Art Garfunkel, I, who knows what I could have probably uh, <laughs> accomplished as well. So it kind of piqued his interest overall in the music business. Now, in about 1993, he gets the groundwork laid to kind of launch the Backstreet Boys. They were already becoming a success in kind of maybe the local area and whatnot, but he was already becoming 
a little bit on, on the radar of law enforcement and authorities, and he began to be actually suspected of insurance fraud prior to this in 1991. Now, like I said, in around 1993, he did discover the Backstreet Boys in a talent search. And, of course, we know they would go on to become one of the biggest selling boy bands of all time. You know, not just a big hit in the Orlando, Florida area, but they ended up enjoying not only national success, but international success. You know, they were popular, you know, throughout the world back in their heyday. And he also handled some other popular boy bands, uh, such as O-Town, but, you know, none probably to the level, certainly, that he got of success he got with the boy band Backstreet Boys. But despite his success, you know, this wasn't so rosy. Many of the bands that he handled began to file lawsuits against him. And one of the band members, Aaron Carter, who had a solo career, famous enough on his own later, he sued Perlman all the way back in 2002, alleging that Perlman had cheated him out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, they later settled that settlement out of court. We don't know, there's nothing really disclosed what they ended up settling on, but it was later settled out of court. And that same year, uh, Perlman purchased the Options Talent Agency Group and to, you know, search for, you know, talent, particularly in his area of interest, which was the, the boy band pop music genre. He seemed to see that that was a very marketable, you know, sector to try to, develop and he that's what he targeted mainly and went after now the previous owner actually was a convicted con artist himself and uh perlman basically operated this agency uh, no differently than any out there you know and uh it's important to do your research out there if you are looking for an agent you know i have one that represents me in film and voiceover and some of the things i do on the side uh the agent i have had been in business for 31 years when i signed her on so you know, and I did my homework and research, and, you know, thankfully she's a reputable agent. But not everyone in this industry is. There are plenty in the entertainment industry, some very predatory agents that uh, seek people to only exploit them and get their money and suck them dry. And as just as Perlman does here, illegally get money from them and, uh, you know, kick them to the curb, used and abused. You know, that exists out there. Unfortunately, not all agents are reputable and honorable. This one wasn't the one that... Uh, operated the options talent group and Perlman honestly continued his tradition on well because Perlman himself was a con artist. The agency though quickly to began to absorb some negative ratings particularly from the better business bureau <laughs> a little bit of a tongue twister the three B's I know you've seen them rate agencies if you or organizations businesses you know having a good rating from them can be very good for your business they're an accredited uh, ratings agency. Now you don't have to have, you know, anything rated or accredited by them, but it does give a business some sort of legitimacy. You know, when you see somebody has a good rating from the Better Business Bureau, you figure they're most likely on the up and up and they're a legitimate, honest organization or business. And this agency, the Options Talent Group, began to accumulate some negative publicity from this group. I mean, ratings from this group. And they were being reported for misrepresentation and in some of their selling practices, selling the products, services that they offered, talent that they offered. But things in 2006 changed a little bit when feds investigating concluded that Perlman 
had ended up operating what would we would find out later is one of the longest Ponzi operation schemes <clears throat> in American history. Now, we've done an actual episode on the founder and the one that's credited for that scheme, Charles Ponzi himself, you know, and we've explained it many times on the show, but if you're new, not quite sure, a Ponzi scheme is a scheme where you take in money from investors and promise gigantic, really unrealistic returns. And you take this money in and you basically spend it for yourself, but you get new investors in and when others want to cash out, you cash out with money from new ones. Now, while you're living high on the hog, you're producing these false documents showing these unreal, amazing returns that are not realistic. But when you put those numbers out there like that, that's going to entice people to join in on your investment. I mean, who doesn't want to get in on something hot that's really cashing in? But the problem is, when people start demanding your money, these, this money, and you don't have it to cash in, you've got a problem. And then when you don't have new people coming in to join in on the scam, to, get, to give you money to finance your scam, then you run into problems. And that's when a Ponzi scheme collapses. It's, it's you know, one of the oldest forms of white-collar crime, and it's one of the most common. But, uh, and most white-collar crimes, I would say, fall into this type of... Uh, scheme some way or other. It's just a very popular one. Again, you can go back and see last year we did a one on Charles Ponzi himself last fall, I think it was, and he was the founder of it. A little bit of background information on him and how he developed this scheme, but it's been done countless times by white-collar criminals since him, and Perlman operated in a similar fashion. And Florida State investigators, they also concluded that his agency was fraudulent, and they took possession of his property. Now, Perlman was soon arrested, but he did not get arrested in Florida. At this time, he had fled over to Indonesia, and he was arrested and detained over there, and he was brought back to be charged and face counts of bank fraud, one count of mail fraud, and one count of wire fraud. Now, when he's brought back, and while he is awaiting sentencing, he actually requested a phone and internet connection for two days a week to continue to promote his bands. This is the gall and arrogancy, if you could, if you will, that this guy possessed. I can't imagine if I'm looking at charges like that to the level he was to have the nerve to ask the judge for this type of thing, but he did. Um, he was denied, logically and rightfully so, but he did actually ask the judge for that so he could continue his frauds and continue doing what he does in... In jail, and, and make no mistake about it, folks, I worked in corrections for about 14 years, and if you think somebody being put in jail stops them from committing crime, crimes it does not. You know, there's people that still carry on businesses, drug transactions, you know, the mafia is known to still carry on business when the godfathers and the dons and the top people in the organizations and the family get locked up. They still continue business as well as they can from behind bars, and white-collar criminals they don't always stop what they're doing once they get locked up either. And Perlman, although I'm sure he sold it to the court that he wanted to continue his legitimate business practices, most likely it was to continue the fraud and deceit that he was getting quite well known for. But again, the request was denied by the judge. And this judge ended up sentencing Perlman to 25 years in prison for conspiracy, money laundering, and making false statements during a bankruptcy proceeding. He and his companies were forced into basically an involuntary bankruptcy in 2007. 
Now, he had made a lot of money. Of course, he had laundered a lot of it illegally from the bands that he represented, but he, you know, most of a lot of what he took in was illegal from these people that he represented. But he had uh, done quite well for himself, had many assets, including a mansion. And this mansion was stacked full of expensive art, memorabilia, things like that. But uh, a closer check of him found that a lot of those were to be fake. So who knows? He could have possibly been involved in, you know, selling, you know, fake and fraudulent art and memorabilia as well, you know, because he was stealing money from clients and people that he represented. You know, that's how he got caught and brought to justice. But, uh, that may not have been his only game, so to speak. A lot of these white-collar criminals, they have more than uh, one type of thing going. And many times it's not just, you know, one operation they're involved in. And sometimes, even when they're caught, we don't always know the extent to what all they're involved in. Sometimes they're involved in even a lot more than we ever even catch or realize. And sometimes they're brought to justice later. We saw that with uh, Michael Avenatti, the guy known as the creepy porn lawyer. We did an update on that on the last show, you know, now he's been sentenced to, I think it was four more years in prison for stealing some money for a client he represented, you know, Stormy Daniels, the former adult film star. So, you know, they don't always stop offending just because they get locked up. Sometimes they continue to do the things they do. And uh, that was certainly no different with, uh, with Mr. Perlman. And even though he brought a lot of people stardom, he also stole a lot of money from a lot of people that he represented and, you know, used this money in other illegal activities. And unfortunately, you know, people had to be exploited and, and not all of them, you know, made it to the level that the Backstreet Boys did. He was managed, he managed to probably exploit some of the acts that he represented on a smaller scale and uh, was able to take money from their hard work and effort too and make no mistake about it. Just because some of them didn't reach the level of popularity and stardom that uh, the Backstreet Boys did. That doesn't mean they didn't work just as hard to, you know, try to make it in there because the entertainment industry is hard and, you know, it's extremely competitive. And just because someone doesn't, you know, achieve stardom doesn't necessarily mean they're they're not as talented as the people who do. You know, I've seen plenty of movies from actors that I think are just as talented as some of the top paying A-list actors that you see in Hollywood. But, you know, for whatever reason, they don't get their big break and don't make the big money that maybe they should. And, you know, the same with music. I'm sure you can think of local bands maybe that play in your area that are really good and, you know, for some reason they just don't ever reach that top stardom. You know, it's just it's just how the business is. And, you know, that that are just the breaks. You know, it doesn't make it right, but that's just how the business is and that's how it runs. But unfortunately, as I said, also, there are plenty of people in this business like Perlman that will prey on talent, particularly young talent. And that tended to be a scam with him that, uh, you know, those were the type of bands he tended, tended to exploit and steal money from were the boy bands. Now, again, part of that could be as he, you know, did rightfully recognize that was a popular way to make money. You know, he saw the success from the Backstreet Boys in the 1980s and wanted to capitalize on it. And as I said, you know, at the top of the podcast here, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had Backstreet Boys and, you know, 98 Degrees, tons of these types of boy bands everywhere. You know, it just was a popular thing for a while. I can remember even in the early 90s, there was one that was real popular, although it was brief, called Color Me Bad. And if you're listening to this, if you're my age, if you're a Generation Xer and, and older, you probably remember them. They were, you know, had a very brief time in the charts, but, you know, pretty big for a short while that they were on there. So, you know, it's something that can be made money off of, but unfortunately, it's also something that can be exploited. And, you know, there are many predators out there in the entertainment industry as well. And, you know, there's plenty like Perlman that will be out there to 
make money off him, off you, and exploit you. And other bands that he represented did come forward. You know, we mentioned Old Town and some of the others. And, you know, many of them began to bring claims and suits toward him and also began to get attention from law enforcement on, you know, some of the illegal exploitation he had done on some of these others. But he did, as I said, get a 25-year sentence. Pretty handy sentence for a white-collar crime. You know, as we've said many times on this show, they don't always get the lengthy sentences that they deserve, but... He got a pretty decent sentence, you know, considering, you know, the millions of dollars that he exploited and laundered illegally from clients. He did pretty well to get, you know, at least some kind of sentence because, you know, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, swindled people out of a lot more money than what Perlman did and, and served way, way less time in prison. So this was probably, you know, as far as white collar crime, you know, standards go for sentences, a, a pretty decent sentence. But it was in Florida, too, where he got sentenced. In Florida, you know, they, I lived, you know, wife and I lived in Florida for about a year, and they have a, you know, pretty swift and severe form of justice down there. And even though this is federal court down in Florida, you know, they tend to represent and mirror the, you know, federal courts tend to represent and mirror the district and local courts in their jurisdictions most of the time. Not always. But I think that was probably the case here in Florida. You had a pretty strict law and order judge, and judge was sentenced, you know, ends up sentencing him to 25 years. So he began serving his sentence in 2008, but in 2010 he had a stroke. And if you look him up, he's picture he was not exactly ever going to be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness. He was pretty, uh, you know, fat, chunky guy, and you know, not probably in the best of shape or best of health. And you know, probably caught up with him, and he ended up having a stroke. And while in prison, he had surgery to replace a heart valve, but he continued to have heart problems. And this continued for, you know, a f- quite a few more years while he's end up locked up. But on August 19th, 2016, he did die of a cardiac arrest. So about eight years into his sentence, he was 62 at the time. So he does do, did serve about eight years of that 25 years before he died and passed away. So, and most likely, you know, at age 54, when he got sentenced, he was going to be, you know, really old. He was going to be nearly 80 when he got out of prison. So you know, it, it it's hard for people to live a long time that long in prison, especially someone like him that was, you know, not in the best health or shape anyway. And, you know, that he likely was not going to survive twenty five years in prison at that age. But, you know, some do, but a lot of times when somebody gets a lengthier sentence like that at at an older age in their fifties or sixties, it's gonna be a life sentence in a lot of ways. A lot of times they're not going to get out. And, you know, we talk about that a lot on this podcast that some of them get out and just like regular street criminals, they reoffend just the same and they prey on people just the same when they get out. This is one case we know that's not going to happen because he died in prison, you know. We've had others that thankfully didn't get the opportunity to prey on anyone again, you know, Jordan Belfort. I mean, uh, Bernie Madoff, we mentioned him, you know, he died in prison, but he was not ever going to get out with the sentences he got, you know. And Stuart Parnell, the uh, CEO of the Peanut Corporation of America, we've done the podcast on them last year. Also, there's an episode on American Greed about that company. And uh, they didn't, uh, you know, he got pretty much a life sentence to his age, too. If he does get out, he's going to be very, very old and probably not going to be around much longer than that. So, he did not get a chance to get out and prey on anyone again, but according to what the feds were able to calculate, he had scammed clients altogether of over $300 million. That's a lot of money, even 
you know, of course, you know, the way inflation and everything's going, who knows how long $300 million will be $300 million, but that's a lot of money, especially in the 90s and 2000s here. So, uh, you know, he did pretty well for himself, you know, almost kind of like a Bernie Madoff of the entertainment industry. You know, you may not know his name, but uh, I, I'm sure you've seen some of the acts that he produced. And there is also, I believe, an American crime episode on him. If you watch that show, you might be able to check it out. I think it streams on Peacock, and you might be able to find the episode where he's covered on that. But, uh, you know, not likely you know the face, but you certainly know some of the work that he put out there and produced. But with him passing away in prison, we are at least assured he's not going to prey on any other future talent. So, Well, we're going to have some more coming up on some uh, old-school con artists and going to go back in time a little bit to some earlier not as recent white-collar crime scams, kind of get the little historical foundation of what's gotten us where we're at now. And we certainly appreciate you tuning in, and please like our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes, and we also ask that you uh, follow us, you know, on that Facebook page. Stay tuned for news and updates and, you know, any updates on episodes or episode change times. And we also ask that you... Uh, Follow us in, uh, on the Anchor link, and if you'd like, you can donate money to keep us going. We always appreciate donations to our show. You can do that, and then we appreciate that. We also would like uh, you to follow me and, and give me any type of recommendations for episodes. You can also email those to me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. And if you're in need of any voiceover services or acting or anything, you can check out my website, ryan-horn.com. Glad to help you out in that regard. And just look out for each other. Plenty of con artists out there looking to scam our family and friends, and we want to keep everybody aware of that. Please be aware of what is out there and look out for each other and have each other's backs. Appreciate you tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you here again. God bless and take care, everybody.